thought pattern with our mom. There were so many times where um, I would just sit and hope and hope and hope that she would get arrested because if she's in jail, she can't do drugs. Well, it's if she's in jail, she it's harder for her to uh, do drugs. And so maybe like that is the opportunity for her to sober up and to not, you know, to not be on the streets, to be safe. Yeah. So I went on and uh, it, it just I went to a rehab, a detox, a rehab. Um, and I went to in like Kent, Connecticut. It's a uh, called High Watch Farm. It's actually someone could I'll have to double check, but I'm pretty sure it's the first AA or real rehab in America or in the world. Um, it's where the AA, the guy who wrote AA wrote it in a farm there. He got sober there. So parts of the book were written in some chapel up there. He left New York and they used to take him up and throw him in what they call drunk farms. And they'd just leave him there to get sober and then bring him back to life. And uh, so I went there. Um, first time I had some spirituality and God feeling in my chest. Um, at that time I was cold, you know, I started to have friends die. I was seeing, you know, I was seeing stuff every day. I was doing my stuff. I had a lot of guilt for selling drugs, um, taking part and stuff like that. And it was just like peaceful, you know, we, at night it was, it was winter. Um, I was up there on New Year's and I just remember having cigarettes with my roommates and like you're in the woods, woods, on the hill. And it, you just, first time I could hear nothing, you know, no noise, no being in cities, no fear. I would just listen to the snowfall, have a cigarette at like one in the morning and just sit out there and just like, I could feel God for the first time, or what I call God. And uh, it, it, was, it was special. They were big on 12 steps um, for anonymity purposes. I don't say what I go to, but they were an AA-based group. Um, and... You know, right away they had us working on the steps. It's the first time I did meditation, yoga, things I used to laugh at, um, and that was huge for me to finally find some peace, finally work on myself. And I got out, got sober, stayed sober for seven months. Once I got out, I got to meetings and started working with a sponsor, did the steps, and stayed sober seven months. Uh, and then from there. Decided I was on step 12, which is help other people for those that don't know. And obviously I'm like, nope, get money. And I stopped going to meetings and got three jobs, tried to start a million things to make a million dollars in a month. You know, I felt like, I, well, I'm 28 now. This, I should be way further. And you had like this anxiety, you know, all your friends are graduated college and stuff. So it was a lot. Uh, but yeah, so. One night made a bad decision, got so drunk, I took my dad's car by accident, went on and uh, kind of crashed a little and thought it was my car and couldn't face the music. So I moved to Yonkers. It's next to like Yankee, like the Bronx in New York. Lived there for six, years, six, uh, six, six, eight months, just drinking and doing cocaine. Never went back to opiates at this point because I probably would have died. Definitely. Um, made a fool out of myself a lot to the point where I was miserable enough to go back home do the steps, get sober, and everything went amazing again. Uh, I had my whole life back, had my family relationships, made amends to my brother, to my, my parents. Um, I got my electrical license, you know, just everything. Once I get sober and do the steps, for me, uh, it's just life works, you know. things Life still happens at times, but what I need comes to me, you know. So definitely beyond blessed with that. Um, and then a year after my so a, a week after my year celebration date 
the world shut down due to COVID. So I'm sitting there like, why the hell did I get sober, man? Like, I just wasted 10 years and I had a year and I finally just started to get like, you know, savings. I was playing to go overseas for the first time. I was like, now nah, I can enjoy it. It shut down. I'm stuck in my house with my brother and my parents. I was like, damn, I'm screwed. Uh, that's not a place you want to be as an addict. So I started, uh, I remember back to times when I, I, I was just home from rehab and I had nothing. I didn't have a car. I was stuck in my parents' house. All I had was a gym in the basement, like a homemade shit gym with a concrete floor and uh, food in the house. And I just worked out, prayed, meditated, ate a healthy breakfast, went for a run and did the same thing every day. Look for a job. But I learned how to do something my sponsor called a spiritual bank account. That's uh, a huge part of my book is that I would struggle and I would call him and say, I don't feel good, man. Again, I'm sober today, but oof, I'm ready to punch him on the face or take a shot. And he's like, well, that's not a good sober. Let's talk about that. And uh, he's like, well, where's your spiritual bank account? What have you done today? And I'd be like, what do you mean? He's like, well, did you pray? And I'm like, oh, I forgot. I like, okay, so that's your negative money. Did you work out today? And I'd be like, no, I didn't. And so we learned, I really set my life on a spiritual bank account. And I think it works for anyone, not just sobriety. Uh, you know, I have sober friends, family that have followed this and feel amazing. And it's just that we need to do good. It sounds simple, but how many people just go in a rut and you're just like, oh, yeah, I haven't done anything I like in a month. All I do is play video games and drink beers, you know, and it's amazing. A little bit of work. But uh, so I stuck with that. And. You know, I was like, actually, I could thrive in this setting. I've been here before. So I actually killed it. I got ridiculously in shape. I started to write my book. This was, what, four years ago now, three years ago? So at that point, I was only a year sober. I started to write my book. I started to I learned day trading, stock option with my friend. Literally two sober addicts, and we were making money on day trading. You know, I learned how to, like, fuel my brain in a good way. I started to play little video games again for fun. Uh, I started dating. Like, I just lived. And... uh Halfway through COVID, uh, I lost three friends in a week. Uh, one of my friends I played Pop Warner, like young football with, took his own life after being sober a few years. Uh, my roommate that used to sit out with me and have cigarettes every night uh, in that rehab in, in High Watch in Kent, Connecticut, uh, got out and overdosed. Uh, and my best friends in childhood, one of my three best friends. Uh, that was better than me in baseball and was there from childhood to baseball and in addiction. He broke his hip his senior year and got an opiates as well. Um, he overdosed and died. Uh, so on the third one was him. And the first two, you know, when you're in that lifestyle, you got a lot of people dying. That's how it sounds. So you kind of, it hits you every time, but you know how to be like, well, that's that life. You know what I mean? Like he was in it with me. Yeah. Yeah. But this was like an older brother to my brother. It was like a brother to me. Um, and, you know, one happened, felt a certain type of way. The second one happened. So, all right, we're a little shaky here. Um, and you, the, the thing about COVID is, like, I didn't have my in-person meetings. I was Before this, I was speaking everywhere. I was giving, I was sponsoring people. I was killing it. And it's like, now I'm stuck in my house doing my best. I was chairing meetings on Zoom. You know, we had, like, meetings in the parking lot. We put together ourselves. So, But it wasn't the same life, obviously, for everyone. And then when I heard about my third friend, uh, my world was really shattered. Um, oh, man, I remember just sitting in my room crying and just being like, uh, I'm going to relapse. I know it. And just feeling this like dark wave come over me. Um, and 
the next morning I got up, I went for a run, and I was really just tired. Even before this, there were just like five other people from high school died all from opiates. And I was like, I'm tired of fucking hearing about it. And uh, sorry for my language. I don't know if I swear on here or not. Uh, so uh, I just went, and uh, long story short, I just uh, went for a run. And the whole time I was talking to God, just like, what am I doing here? Like, yeah, how do I help people? Like, because I called my sponsor, and he was like, you're on 12 step. You've been helping people. Keep helping people. That's how you're going to feel better about it. Do it for for your friend. So I was running and I was running my shirt off in, in my town. And I don't know. It just this God thing. It just hit me as I was running. I ran like four miles in the heat. And it just hit me like the whole vision I had of where I got to today of um, wait, just like the thought, I mean, a vision of just like, wait, I looked cra- like crackhead, crazy, skinny, and like terrible and drug addict. Now I look better. So there's the physical appearance. I have social media. I could touch so many people. I can't, because of COVID, I can't go do it in meetings anymore. Um, I'm very well known in my town. It's not a huge town, big enough, but not a big. Just from sports, my brother, like just connected. Everyone knows everyone. Everyone knows how bad I was. I'm good now. Uh, Who cares? It's not like if I put my story out there, it's not going to freaking surprise anyone. Everyone knew what I was doing. So I was like, uh, I should post something. So I, I ran back to my house. I was just running on the main roads. I prayed, cried, and just put out a post on Facebook and Instagram of like, because uh, obviously I put like the RIPs from everyone before. So I just put a whole new post of a paragraph. Like, I'm sick of, t- I, I mentioned, like, I know I had to put some sad RIPs up, but I'm sick of talking about people dying. Um, I was like, again, my name is Jonathan. I'm an alcoholic addict. I've been sober at this time for a year and a half. I was like, you don't have to die. If you need help, DM me. Uh, and I just kind of went off. I came out as I was crying. I typed this out in two seconds and hit send on all my social medias. And at this time, I had a lot of just uh, guilt, you know. Uh, my brother had to hold his head down. My parents did. The whole town knew I was doing bad things, you know. Um, and it's a stigma of addiction. It's, uh, you know, they're all looking looking down at me. So I was like, this also is immense to my parents and my brother that now they could pick their head up high and look people in the eye, you know, that I'll now I'll be helping people. And uh, the post blew up. I mean, like, people I thought hated me, like, I'm so proud of you. Like, people I didn't even know followed me still from high school or DMing me for my basketball team, asking me if I could help them get sober, they're struggling. It was just such exactly what I needed at that time. Um, I got to helping a bunch of guys through there. I uh, started to train people. And one night, some of my parents, uh, I was like, I should make this a thing. Because then I started Monday Motivations, and it was my way of helping myself. And uh, we came up with Get Lifted, would be like the tag, my my name, my brand. Uh, I started a little clothing brand out of it, which I got to get back to. I kind of stopped for a while, but uh, made these shirts to Get Lifted. And it's it's like arms lifting a weight in the clouds. So like, and my whole motto was get lifted spiritually, mentally, physically. And it was that spiritual bank account idea that I was posting to people. And it was crazy. Just the support was so cool. Yeah. We definitely need some merch. So go ahead and send us over some. (laughs) I'll have to send you guys some out. My girlfriends are pushing me to do it again. Yeah. It was, it was amazing. People reached out for sort of personal training, had a little side cash business of like training people, a lot of them were dealing with depression, not even like addicts. So it was amazing. I was like, that's when I started to see this can help anyone. My parents started to work out 5 a.m. every day. They started to watch their health. At times, my brother did. Um, yeah, it was cool. Are you still doing any uh, training or like working one-on-one with people? 
Yeah, uh, in a way, the training I stopped. Um, a lot's happened in the in the last two years, so a lot of things have changed. Um, a lot of focus recently has been the book. Uh, so I'm sure we'll get into that. that. That's supposed to come out in December, or like a month. I'm going to last final little edit and publish on Amazon. Um, I'm working for a year or two on that, but the clothes will probably come back after that. Uh, it just takes a lot of focus. I never wrote a book. You got a drug addict writing a book. So I'm like, it's <laughs> tough, man. I just, I don't, I never did school. My girlfriend's a, uh, uh, just became an RN in the ICU. And so she's been helping me a lot because she went to obviously college. So she like, like, what are you, like, your English is terrible. So she's been a godsend just trying to read my English. Um, she's like, your points are amazing. Like, you know, she's like, this is the exact story I've reached so many people, but she's like, this comma here and this, that. So, you know, and I'm getting out of it stuff. Bro, I've been in college for four years. I'm basically my fifth year with my deployment stuff. Uh, and my writing still feels terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully I get back to it. But uh, it went on for a while. I got to do... So many cool things. I even like one of my friends works for the Yankees. Well, not he used to. Now he does like bigger stuff than that, even like sports stuff. But he, uh, like, I made amends all my friends for the most part, you know. And he got me to go like do the equipment for the Yankees a couple times with his dad. So like, there's just moments in my sobriety that you know all these cool things I could share about. It's like in the Yankees locker room, like, like if you think about it, it was like two years ago. It's like no one would think that, you know, or like. Even just like my physical fitness, you know, I was so grateful to look at that and say, you know, it's not an ego thing. I think first humans like react to visuals. So if you see it before and after me, you're like, all right, now I'm sold. Now tell me what you what you learned or what you did. You know, instead of me just, I could be sober and drinking Jack and Coke in here. You know what I mean? Or people can see that. Like, all right, now I'm, 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 I want to hear, you know. So that was huge. I mean, and especially in sports, like we love an underdog story in sports, you know, like we all want to see the underdog succeed. So it's like, I feel like in a lot of um, athletes that have aspirations to go to the next level, I mean, you have a friend that got hurt and also got addicted to stuff. And it's like, it's, that's a lot of people or they didn't make it to where they wanted and they feel like a failure and that pressure that they had their whole lives. I mean, look at um, Mikey Williams, for example, right? He just got charged uh, 25 years for a gun charge, and he, you know, he's committed to Memphis, like what, like a big basketball school. Like, it's very easy to like mess up, right? There's so much pressure on you all the time. You have so much expectation for yourself that a lot of athletes. Sorry, my cat is tweaking. Um, it's. I lost my train of thought. Um. Mm-hmm. Ew. It, the it's underdog easy. story part right it's it's uh it's just i can see why a lot of people would resonate with that and why your friends would you know want those relationships back because they can understand you know they understand like all these things are happening to you and you want to be back to where you were you know exactly so, yeah and, uh, it's, it's uh, definitely like now I play another blessing is uh, I play softball now for fun. So I get to touch on that like baseball skills. Like I always talk about the best shortstop in this area. So 
everyone tries to pick me up. I get to have that, like, uh, what do you call it? Uh, like that competition edge, you know what I mean? Like that, like competitive edge and it brings that back. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, uh, definitely can't wait to get back to training people. You know, that'll, that'll, that'll be fun. I have a few ideas to open a gym and stuff like that. But there's a lot. Yeah, but don't tell an addict to do 10 things at once. It takes 10 years. <laughs> but yeah, that's the, to answer your question, that's, that's where the book came from. Uh, I just realized how delicate it was. And, uh, my story got a little harder through my, through my story. Whenever I tell it to like detoxes or rehab and stuff, I always tell them, I think the theme of my story is staying sober through anything, you know? So I went through COVID, went through losing my best friend and a couple other, I mean, handfuls of friends, but a couple of close ones. Um, and then after I healed from that, I hope one of my, our other best friend gets sober off heroin and alcohol. Um, and then a lot has happened. Then we, uh, things got steady. I became an electrician and just played softball, trained people on the side, pushed to get lifted, pump, pumped out posts, was helping people, felt on fire. Um, and then life tested me again. Uh, didn't hit this part of my story. And it kind of touches on the, me and God or what I, where I'm at today in the book. But uh, I... So at this point, I have my brother on my softball team. I made amends to him. We're really cool. Uh, you know, my parents have a healthy relationship. Obviously, those relationships are always growing. You know, I did a lot of pain to my parents and my brother when I was younger, but we're having good times. You know, we look, we live together, so we're cool. My brother had his own place 30 minutes away in Connecticut. And uh, my brother had the same tendencies. Uh, he's what I call a successful. I don't even like to call him an alcoholic addict because that's for him to say. But he would even say, oh, I'm a smart addict, like alcoholic, because he wasn't like a drug addict. But he's like, you drank a lot. And he was like, I learned from you how not to do it. And like, because I'll just get caught doing the dumbest stuff all the time. So he's like, you're just an idiot. Like, I'm just checking boxes, watching you get in trouble, get in trouble. Like, don't do that. Don't do that. And he was successful. He did HVAC. He always had, he had like forty, fifty, sixty thousand $60,000 challenger. His own, he, like, I could never get my own place. I was always just at my parents, like drug addict or trying to get sober. And he had his own place from 24, 23 on, nice car, loved fishing, hunting. And uh, after a while, you know, I started to see him fall out of that. And a couple of times he came up to me, he'd joke, he's an alcoholic. Or he'd be like, man, I'm just in a bad drinking spell. Like, I'd kind of talk him out of it. He'd take what he wanted, do better for a while, go back and do it. Um, but he always had a good heart. He was never like, I would never call him, you know what you think of an alcoholic he definitely was an addict because of me he hated drugs um and he came to my parents one time and uh i could tell they're having a weird talk at my parents house like someone was going on so i left it alone and then my parents left and i asked him hey, what's going on and he told him oh i'm just telling mom i'm having a rough time uh he was like i just i'm having racing thoughts i can't sleep i don't do anything i love anymore and da, 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 I'm drinking way too much. Like I always drink a lot because he was a type of, like, I was that type of drinker too. Like he'd go a week, Monday to Friday, not drinking, get absolutely bombed Friday, Saturday and be, have to lay around all of Sunday, maybe take Monday off and then have a normal work week. And I was the same way. Um, I think we both had bouts where we drank five nights here and that, but for the most part, you know, it was just heavy drink. Like didn't know when to stop once we started hard parties. And he, uh, he 
I just told him, man, I was like, well, how, for you to say it must be serious, a tough kid. He never really talked about much. And uh, he made one comment before I left for High Watch Recovery Center. They said, I don't hate you. I just can't watch you anymore. That's why I distance from you. Uh, I don't know when you're going to die or get shot or overdose or killed. He's like, so I just distance from you. It's not that I hate you. And that actually was the first amends he made for me, basically, where I could see how I was affecting other people. Um, so I just let him know. I was like, I'm worried about you. You're affecting me the same way. Uh, I gave him words of wisdom, told him I loved him. He gave me a hug. Uh, and I asked him, I said, uh, just promise me one thing. And I guess I found out later on my mom and dad did too. Um, I was like, just promise me it's not suicidal. And if it is, I've dealt with worse. I was like, oh, we'll get you the help you need. He's like, no, no, it's not. I promise you. And uh, the week before he got in a really nasty fight with his girlfriend, my parents were away at their house. He came up to where I lived and he just said some messed up stuff and there was a really bad argument. So I already had worries about him. And uh, a couple of weeks went on and then I woke up one morning to go to a meeting and I, he was supposed to go to that meeting with, I was going to Yankee game with my friends and he was supposed to go to that meeting with me because he wasn't sure if he's an alcoholic, but he's like, I think I should work on my drinking at least. If I'm alcoholic, I'll just stay sober. But I think I need to definitely listen, hear you guys out, you alcoholics, and see if I am. Uh, that night, I went meet up with some girl after training someone in a basketball game I played in and got home late, and he was gone. And I texted him. He's like, oh, I had to pick up my girlfriend from the Brooklyn. We're at my place in Connecticut. I'll talk to you tomorrow. And I was like, all right, I love you. And I woke up from my meeting, and this is just how weird things happen. And This is the hardest thing in my life I've ever gone through. Uh, I woke up from my meeting, sat up straight, um, and as I went to stand up, the doorbell rang, and it was the Brookfield Police Department. And I just, it was like God in me. I just knew it. I started yelling to my dad. I was like, fuck, I knew this was going to happen. Uh, something happened to him. I figured he probably crashed his car because I think he drank and drove a lot in that fast car. And the cop opened the door. It was a kid that was a couple years older than me in high school. He was a cop now, and he was like, yo, John, you need to talk to your parents, get your dad. And proceeded to tell my, my dad, me and my mom there at like seven o'clock in the morning on our front stoop that uh, my brother had passed away. Um, obviously just a ugly moment. And I found out that he, uh, he'd taken his own life. He got in a fight with his girlfriend and shot himself um, after drinking all night. And uh, man, I was, I was brought right back to that moment in COVID, you know, uh, I was just like, how do I get, this this is the one thing I told him one time. I, I can get through anything, but I can't get through losing you. He's my only little brother. Uh, meant the world to me. He's the most important men's I ever made. And uh, it just fucked me up. Uh, I went inside, and I just cried. Everyone's obviously crying. And right away, I knew my challenge is not even going to be mourning him. It's going to be staying sober and not ruining my family. Uh, I'll deal with mourning him later, but I can't put my parents through this. And that's what AA helped, uh, 12 steps, 12 step program helped me with is I didn't think about myself. Old me would have right have been, been like, you know, like can't deal, like snort, drink, whatever. And I was like, no, like, my parents, that was my immense to my brother uh, to stay sober and be a brother he needed, a son my parents needed. And I went in my room and did what I, how I stay sober. I was told to pray every day on my knees. Uh, to whatever God I can imagine, even if it's not Jesus, if it's not Muhammad or Buddha, just pray. And I, I did that. I just said, be sober. Uh, 
let me be there for my parents, let my brother rest in peace. Went outside, I called my sober network. Or I texted him in a group chat. I called my best friend that was like a older brother to him as well that helped get sober. He was crushed. Uh, and it was just a fucked up couple months from then. Uh, by the grace of God, I stayed sober. I went to a meeting that weekend. I was crying in front of 30 people. Uh, it was rough, but uh, that's what that's what started the book. Struggled for a while after that. My parents, we, we stayed there, and I just kept doing get lifted. You know, uh, I, was, I lost probably 30, 40 pounds. I couldn't eat. Um, it, it, was, it was not fun to be sober at that time, but I knew it was better than what dead or being high would be like. So I just went and uh, when I could, I took two weeks off softball. And this is how I see. And I like what you said. That's what I want to touch on, too, is that when I sponsor people like, oh, well, what do you believe in? And I go into Catholic Church this morning. I don't really know. Like, I, I believe there's a God. I, I believe some of the stuff in Catholic or Christianity. But I just know when I pray, I stay sober. I haven't wanted to drink. I work in bars sometimes. Like, I bartend, about sobriety. Um I go buy my parents' liquor. Like, I don't hide from anything. I'll be in casinos, clubs with my friends sometimes. That's not my scene, but if there's a reason for me to be there, I could be there, you know? And uh, I went and got – so my brother was on my softball team, and I went back, and it's a little just fun story for sobriety and the things I can't have and hope. So I went back, had a terrible three weeks. Um, like I said, I'm pretty good, so it was bad. I knew I was just in my head. Uh, I get to play and be shaking, like – you know, uh, that was my amends to him, having those moments of watching him, like, high-five me after I make a crazy, like, Jeter play a short. Like, that meant my whole summer needed me, you know. Yeah, not everything. But uh, I, I get up, and I have a terrible at-bat again. It's been a week or two of this, and I remember getting the club out. I broke a bat, and my best friend was on my team that I called that morning, and I was, like, basically crying. I was like, bro, if – this the rest of this game doesn't go well. I'll never touch a baseball bat again. And stupid fucking game, he ruined it for me. I, I was freaking out, like in the corner just to him. But I was having a little mental break that, and he's like, "Bro, just stick with it. Like, talk to God." And I got to the plate and I just said, "Bro, you either ruined my favorite thing here, or show me something." And up to this date, I, I made a home run that season. It was like kind of like the first quarter of the season, and he hadn't played. Ten years, and he already hit the wall twice. So the joke was, the little Mendonco, like my little brother, was gonna hit a home run before I did. And you know, I got up, and the first pitch was like an absolute bomb home run. Um, it just happened. My new my friends were there watching, and they had a new phone. They recorded it. Um, and then I got up the next one and said, because addicts always doubt faith in God. I said, "All right, you think you're smart?" I was like, "Show me something else." And the bases were loaded, and it was like one of the last innings, and. I don't remember hitting the ball. It's just I have another video of that sailing into the moon. And a walk, it was a walk-off grand slam. And uh, or at least put us in the lead, and then we won. And I remember just crying dugout of, like, so this is how it's going to be without him. I look for signs, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got you. I was like, all right, I see you both. And uh, that's when I was like, you know what? Everyone kept saying, look, get lifted. You got to write a book. You got to write a book. And I'm thinking – like, I don't even know how I got to this point. Like, it's been a blur. That's God to me. Like, I just prayed and went to some meetings, listened to what people said. And now I got a town that, like, just blessings. Like, I'm so grateful. I'd go to the store and I used to be, like, hiding with my mom. Like, oh, people don't see me. And, like, teachers would come up to me that used to hate me. Like, oh, my God, John, I see your post. You got my son sober. He watched it. And, like, now he's sober. And, like, it's crazy. Like, I didn't even know 
just like I learned energy. Like we all work off each other. And so it's amazing what you guys are doing here. Uh, so kind of fly to the end of this. I'm going to get a chat. I just went in. Uh, my parents sold their home. Stopped all the stuff you asked about. Um, I needed to be there for them. I moved with them to South Carolina, Merle's Inlet. Uh, my mom's parents and aunt, my aunt lived there. They just didn't want to be in my childhood home anymore. Respectfully, I understand. Uh, that was really hard for me. I had just got with my girlfriend. So I'm going to leave her, leave every my sober network, my friends, my softball. But I got to be there with them. And I didn't want to be without them either. So uh, I lived with them for the summer. They kind of finally got in their roots. So I was like, now I'm just chilling in South Carolina, bartending. My girlfriend's up there. My friends are up there. Like, had the conversation with them and moved back up here. Uh, like I said, I never could have anything over my head. I have an apartment now, a garage where I park my car. Um, you know, and uh, I said, I'm going to do this. Uh, she saw me actually writing the book, funny story. And she's like, she's a little younger than me. She's like, are you kidding me? She's like, you're literally writing about like, 2023, bro. You type it. Like, it's going to take you 20 years. <laughs> Like I can't, I think some people think because I'm like clean cut. I get this all the time when they hear my story. They're like, wow, I didn't, I wasn't ready for that. I was like, I'm clean cut. Like I'm not that intelligent. Like maybe life intelligent, but like, books, like <laughs> well, I've left school for a reason. Like, and she's still this day when she talks about she's like crying, laughing. She's like, I cannot believe you're writing a book. She's like, I'm gonna make a book about that. And uh, <laughs> so she got me a book, and I just a uh, laptop. I mean, and I just stay up late for the last year and a half to three in the morning, typing, outlining, watching videos on how to write a book, and. Here we are today. It's a couple, about a month away, and uh, I'm back to like posting again. My account, actually, my Facebook and my Instagram got hacked, and the guy, sick story, turned the picture, profile picture, into my brother that took his own life. I don't think the guy knew what he was doing. That was a sick joke. Uh, so mm-hmm. I'm rebuilding those. But TikTok, my girlfriend got me on there because I said she's younger. She was like, "No, you need TikTok. That's what's gonna get you going." And I was like, "A couple year difference makes a lot." So I went on there. I think that's how I got linked up with you guys. Um, almost at 10,000 followers. Same thing. I just get people from Ireland, Ohio, anywhere. That, like I try to put sobriety comedy. I think that's how I catch people's attention. And then I put other videos of serious life lessons, my story. And then a little, so it's a mix of funny and a mix of serious. So people can relate, laugh, not feel alone. At the same time, then they get some real, like, if you're new to sobriety, you can learn some things from me, from my story. Um, yeah it's amazing so now we're here are you still like doing any sort of speaking are you mentoring people what's going on with that i just got back to that yeah actually just it's weird that it's actually weird crazy side story i know i'm that's a long-winded story so let's keep it short for you guys now but uh it's perfect yeah it's great once i get going it's hard to remember half the stories when you start telling it it just close but uh i hate the story part i like just like q a but i uh bartend right now part-time because obviously i got paid bills while i do all this and i don't have time to train and stuff like that so i had this young clean-cut couple at a bar table and uh good looking both of them guy and girl just you know normal young couple like wouldn't think anything of it and i'm bartending and i walk by them i have like uh i got like just some rosary beads in my grandma's hands and then a dove like my brother and friends like tattoos that passed away and uh my friends and my brother passed away and I, I walked by this couple and they're like, Hey, we like your tattoos. So I like stop. I'm like, oh, thanks. I appreciate it. And like, what's your relationship to God? And I was like, Oh, shit. I was like, I'm a bartender. I wasn't ready for this talk. And <laughs> it was like in my eyes, like beaming, like they're, they're having a serious, they're about to have a conversation. And I was like, Oh God. And I was like, uh, 
I have one. I was like, I'm still learning it. Um, gaining my faith. I'm sober. I was like, but uh, yeah, I don't want to tell you. It's a deep conversation there. And they're like, yeah, you're sober. Yeah, you're sober. Like they knew me. And I was like, what is going on here? And they're like, uh, what? and the girl touches my dove. And she's like, what's that for? And I was like, my, from, all I said is for my friends and my brother that passed away. And they like, she's like, yeah, it is. She's like, uh, God, and your brother wanted me to tell you he's okay. Uh, it's not your fault. And, and obviously I hold a huge guilt over what, what him taking his life because he went through a lot of trauma and my anger when I was younger. Like I said, my drug addiction, drug dealing. I introduced him to alcohol and tobacco and stuff when he was young, you know? So like right there, I'm like, Phew, when like tears were building up my eyes, I'm at work in front of people. I'm like, I appreciate it. And uh, they're like, uh, they just want to say a lot, like let your parents know he's okay. Um, there's going to be, a, this is a new chapter starting for you in your life. Big things are going to happen. Uh, stay with it. And just like beam me in my eyes. Like, I was just like, they're reading my soul. I don't know what's going on. And so I was like, that's crazy. I was like, I actually got a book coming out. Um, so that's wild. I was like, appreciate it. And we had a good talk, whatever. They said a prayer for me and I walked away. And I try to get back as much as I can. And the next morning, the person that put me in touch with you guys DM'd me about being on a podcast. And then the same morning, my rehab reached out to me to go speak at them, speak at theirs, studies of the patients. And the same morning, my high school reached out to speak to them about my book. Um, so I was a little freaked out. And I was like, whoa. And hmm. then to my parents later and my mom and dad like to dream about my brother because that's how they feel connected and uh i tell them like i just let it happen like it happens here there won't happen for three months happens there like can't force it and they call me later and they both woke up that morning and had a dream of him and they were like really positive dreams so uh, i like to share that story because it's crazy how things work out you're giving me so much hope in like my own life <laughs> like <laughs> holy shit like i don't even your whole story is like, like you could have given up so many times. So like, it gives me hope for anyone, like literally anyone. And it's like, what you're doing is so huge. And like, especially the book, I mean, it's like a super detailed and articulated like thing to put on paper so that people can just dive into it, you know? And even with this, like you telling your story, it's like, it's, uh, it's really motivating and it shows that there's, there's, there's no finish line in life. Like it's, it's, it's a marathon. You, you have to go through it. There's, there's so many steps. There's so many things that you can do. And it's all about just doing your best and getting to where you think you need to be. And, um, like, I'm just, I, I don't obviously know you, but I'm so proud of you. Like that's everything that you do. Like that's so fucking cool, dude. Like, you are one in a trillion, you know, like no one is you. And like, I feel like how you talk about your story and your experiences, like people can, people can tell that. I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Uh, uh, no, I'm definitely grateful. It's, uh, like you said, you touch people. It's just, it's crazy. I mean, every places I go, I just, have, I can connect it with people. And, and I think it, I try to say, it, and I don't think it ever hits home, but someone will stop me like in a bar. Damn that. I'm at a bar with my girlfriend, restaurant, like having food, and uh, you know, someone will come up and then pull me aside and say they're from. I used to party with them. They're from high school or some bar I used to manage around here, and they're like, "Man, you motivate me like crazy. Like I love your stuff." Da da da. And like, they don't realize that's helping me more than them. You know, and that means the world to me. Kind of all I'm doing is to help other people. I sacrifice everything to be 
telling us my story. I'll tell the raw stuff, but it gives me hope. You know, obviously through my story, I lost a lot of hope a lot of times. So, uh, yeah, I just think uh, life doesn't get easy. It just, it, there's easy times, but we got to have a way to work through it. And that's why I read this book. I want to, after talking to my high school, I'm going to talk to a lot of high schools because I, I realize a lot of this, like it's not my parents' fault. It's not God's fault. It's like, we're just not taught any coping mechanisms, how to get spiritually or feeling lifted or emotionally lifted. You know what I mean? So you're going to have, and some people it's, I think it all feels the same, but you know, it, you might not call it as serious. It's like your brother killing himself or your parents being an addict or yeah, whatever, you know what I mean? But then you start to learn about people and it's like my parents, parents were addicts. And I didn't know that until I was older. And then that explained some things why my parents acted certain ways to me, you know? And then, uh, you know, you hear about your friends go through and it's just like, people don't have that, that solution. It's like a secret thing that's like right in front of our face. Like, I mean, like social media people are big celebrities. Like they have their stories and people listen to that, but they don't realize that. I mean, you, you were running the call center, you know, you were people's boss, you know, and, and telling them about the rules and stuff like that. And you were doing that in the bathroom. And it's like, that is in front of us, you know, like it's, it's everywhere. It literally is everywhere. A lot of people have stories with it. I mean, the statistics show like it, it is literally everywhere, but I have a question about the writing the book part, right? So like not the typing it out and like the story part of it, but <laughs> yeah, 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 writing. Um, for me, writing uh, did something that I feel like just talking couldn't. I feel like focusing and putting your story right there and kind of and reliving it in a way, but in a different you know mindset, different outlook on the story. Um, did it help you uh, validate like your feelings? Like even though you may have felt like you were hurting people at the time, and, like. I felt that way when I was, you know, failing in school and not doing sports and stuff like Alex's point from earlier, you know, like he was trying to get me motivated and, and all these people were trying to do that. And I felt like I was a failure. Um, did it help you validate your feelings to show like where you were at at that time and how you weren't even able to know what you were feeling, you know? Yeah, that's a, that's an amazing question. Um, that was a huge part for me. I didn't think I realized, uh, you know, because it was like the whole focus was how to write the book, how to write the book. But then when I was writing it, I was like, oh, some people that know me are going to understand, like you're talking about. Like, I wasn't just an, an a-hole, you know what I mean? I was lost. Oh, I didn't yeah. even know what I was doing, you know? Um, it's so sad when I look back. Um, it's tough. You see that stuff about, like, shadow journal and stuff like that work? Where, I don't know if you've heard about that. Yeah, I think that's huge. I didn't, I didn't, I'm still, I don't even know much about it. I've, I've read up a little, and I think I didn't realize that therapy and rehab the 12 step programs, they kind of did that in its own way. Um, but yeah, when I was writing it, I was like, this kid didn't know what he was doing. You know, it was almost like looking at me third person and it's sad. It was like, yes. he was, I was yes. literally like, I literally had in my heart that I'd step on the Yankee stadium one day. And if you fast forward about, you know, fast a year is, you know, I'm driving back at 4am. My parents think I'm in my bed and I'm coming back from the Bronx back to Connecticut, snorting pills off a high school study book you know what I mean? And transporting drugs. Like, and that, I didn't see it coming, you know? 
it's like a KO in boxing match. It's like I had no idea it was coming. And uh, yeah, so I think it explains a lot. People, like, even my town from afar, you know, thought I was just um, doing the wrong thing. They, uh, they'll, they'll hear what pushed me to do those things. It's a surreal feeling. Uh, I, you know, I was young when I wrote it. So, like, I was trying not to feel bad for myself while writing it, but I was writing it, like, literally sitting there, like, trying not to cry in class because I'm like, oh, my God, like, I, I had no idea what was coming. <laughs> like, that's so sad. Like, I just want to hold this kid and tell him, like, it's going to be fine. Like, you're going to make it out of the end. It may feel like you are – your life is nothing right now, but it, you'll be fine. So um, reaching the TikTok audience, like, I know a lot of – the younger generation, my generation, are on there. So reaching people, <laughs> yeah, reaching people early, um, that'll it'll do a huge thing. Teaching people tools how to you know take care of their mental health and all that stuff. It it, it does wonders, wonders. Yeah, I feel like as a as men, especially as men, and I think you touched on. We're not taught like in school and. Frankly, I'm I'm the closest in age to you. I mean, my parents didn't really teach me how to regulate emotion, and I was heavily raised by my grandparents, which was even less emotion. Um, and so, I think that we're I think as a as a population, we're in a better direction with mental health and uh, resources. I mean, we're still nowhere near what we need to be, which we've heard from numerous. Um, counselors or Cherie and even the, the town hall meeting we went to the in our area um, they're talking about treatment facilities or getting people beds or just education in general is just severely lacking the funding um, but can you freeze me oh yeah you said the last thing you said was beds oh getting the, I was just saying getting the beds is just severely lacking the funding to support what's needed but i think that the information with social media and what people are like you were doing or what we're trying to do with this podcast is like you said earlier you used the word stigma and it is it's just erase the stigma of addiction i mean in general it's just get rid of the the stigma of just talking about it and it's okay to feel and um it's okay to as men it's okay to cry and it's okay to do these things because a lot of that is the reason people aren't doing it is they don't want to be judged and and uh, but you don't know what that person that just judged you does when they get in their car and they drive home and they might cry themselves all the way home, but they just judged you for crying. So it's just like the, erasing the stigma is just huge in social media and and the resources and finding the outlets like writing just it's huge opportunities. I mean, he said he'd rather stay in jail than admit it you know and that's true for a lot oh, of people yeah. i bet you know they'd rather go through something harder that some other people couldn't imagine than you know say what they need to say it's like so hard like it, we're not we're not taught that we're not and it's hard like especially in like when you're really young like you're you're go all these emotions you know girls or guys you know puberty's hitting you like it's hard to know what anything is like but knowing early or being introduced to it early like can prevent so many things i think it's huge that you want to go talk at high schools and that you're going to go talk to your high school because i think that that right now that's such a pivotal age i mean 
our aunt was just telling us a story that with all these vapes and this kind of stuff, uh, the high school that her, that our, uh, cousin was supposed to go to some kid just brought like a bunch of vapes to school, but they were all infused with heroin and he just started handing them out. And the ignorance with kids is like, Oh, I'm going to vape. Cause it's cool. But like, I mean, I smoked a lot of weed growing up in high school and like you used to be able to just, you'd have your dealer and you could go smoke it. And now it's like, really? you can't buy it from a private party because you have no idea what the hell it is. <laughs> you have no idea what's there. And, uh, you know, in our state in Washington, it's legal. So if you want it, you go to the dispensaries, um, or the, the recreational shops, but it's just, it's such a different world than now. And, um, it's just, uh, yeah, I just, I fear for the ignorance of the generations. So knowledge is key. We'll yeah. part of it. Okay, we're we're human. <laughs> yeah, no, I see. I mean, two things to touch on that you you said is uh, both you guys said is that, I mean, the asking for help. I look at my brother. I mean, someone that's something I mourn with every day. Is someone actually? My dad struggles with that a lot because he's like that old school guy mentality. He's like someone would actually take their own life than live a life like it's and you know I, I I mean we all deal with that question. You know, it's like yeah, like you it's that bad instead of asking for help. And then you talk about the, the medical, um, when we, my mom called to get him a therapist, um, mm -hmm. that next day when he said he needed help, um, which was probably just like two weeks before he took his own life and because of COVID, which happened like this was, so he passed away July 24th, 2021. So a year and a half after COVID. And they said the next therapist appointment with his like good insurance was like six months away. And he ended up taking his life two weeks later. So, you know, the, the, the help's not there. It's not there timely, uh, you know. And the big resentment I had against COVID during COVID is my friends were dropping faster than COVID. People were COVID, you know what I mean? Even before my brother. Uh, so I was like, we can't go help someone. If I can go to a casino or a strip club, if I can't go to a meeting, I can't go to church, I'm just like, everywhere. There's a frustrating time. Um, What's really essential. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like I literally I went to a casino with my friends in Connecticut, and then uh, it like hit me. I was like, it's like Fourth of July, I went to a beach in casino. The beach was packed. I was like, wait, I can't go to my A meeting. I can't go to the gym. Like, take care of myself. Like, this is, you know, but to think about him taking his life, you know, I, I think sadly I can relate to him more than anyone in my family. Is that I just understand not so much the suicidal part. Um, there was times I would have been probably okay if it ended um it was so bad but i i didn't want that for myself um i felt like there was more but i could relate to the not wanting to ask for help you know and i get why he sat there and you know and he was like he tatted up like my height but like bigger broad dude like he was a manly man like he'd call me the little soft he would cry like you know so he was the one to not ask for you know what i mean i, I no, nothing's wrong we don't need to talk and just keep walking um and he made a joke actually uh and I'll never say he's an alcoholic, was an alcoholic, whatever. But walk into my one year sobriety, he actually came to my, he came to my first year, he came to my two year sobriety, right before he passed away. And as we walked in, he looked at my mom and dad. He's messed, he's funny like me, like messed up stuff. He looked at him and was like, "Can I raise my hand? When I have to introduce myself and say, hi, my name. I'm an alcoholic, but I'm not a fucking quitter." And I was like, "Oh man!" And my mom was like, oh. "I was like cracking up. Oh, my boy." But uh, <laughs> you know it's true though. Like people don't want to quit. You don't want to be called a quitter. Uh, 
I think alcohol is harder to say I'm an alcoholic than a drug addict. Not to judge anyone, but I've been both by terms. And like, it's okay to be like, yeah, I shouldn't be doing drugs. I'm a drug addict. Be like, I'm an alcoholic. You're basically going to be judged the rest of your life if you ever decide to drink again. So that was a huge weight for me. Um, I think I struggled with that for a while. <laughs> uh, no, it's a hard stigma because me, my my friend that got sober off drugs, he we joke about it a lot because. Uh, you know, I don't like to call anyone out particularly, but like just people we grew up with, whether how close they are or far away. But, you know, we went through that. Like I said, we're very judged in a small town. Oh, they do heroin or opiates or ooh. And it's like, you know, we've gained our good name back. Uh, not that we really care what people think, but for our families and to do the right thing. But then you look at the same people or like their kids or whatever, and it's like they're 32 now here doing alcohol and coke every night and that's so, like okay you know it's like that's a fun it's cool but it's like you know you're putting i've talked to my parents about this you put in just want to talk about anyone that was like it's just crazy that i can't just do a line of heroin off the table but everyone could drink beer like it's still poison like you know when you look at my brother like a perfect on the exterior perfect life what else do you want money car girl and you know but because of alcohol is you're trying to solve your problems all right well i guess one of the last things um do you have anything that you want to just leave our listeners with that you haven't already covered or something that you really want to reinforce that that they could take from this um honestly it's what my book life on life's terms is going to be is the format kind of i learned um and it's not even about recovery it's called think like a monk by jay shetty um open my eyes yeah that opened my eyes to all like spirituality and uh, why I realize it's everyone. So it's just because it's talked about how he was a, uh, you know, a monk, which not a lot of people can relate to, but he relates it to a normal life, like how you can meditate a little bit, a couple minutes a day. And that's where I started to learn, like, okay, you know, I can, I can make myself feel better every day through healthy habits, you know. Have faith, have hope. Uh, your story is not over. Um, usually when I, through my whole story, you could probably tell every time I thought it was over, a lot of good things are about to happen. Uh, so hold on tight. Uh, so what's the best way for people to reach you? Uh, so my Instagram, like I said, I'm rebuilding that. It's uh, get lifted with three Ds. Um, and then my TikTok is probably the easiest one uh, and the most widespread. Uh, and that's recovery, John, or at get lifted. Well, we just want to, um, I guess, say thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your vulnerability. We appreciate you. We appreciate your story um, and the pain and loss that you've suffered. I know that uh, it's going to resonate with a lot of people. Uh, not only have you been uh, surrounded by substance abuse, you've, you know, you've beat it yourself. Um, so again, like, you know, Dominic said, we're proud of you. And um, yeah, thank you so much for being here. It's been very really, really much appreciated. I feel like your story is uh, very important for people to hear. But uh, this has been another episode of the Final Fix podcast. Uh, we just want you to remember that you are not alone and uh, we love you. If you or anyone you know are struggling with addiction, please reach out to the National Substance Abuse Hotline at 1-800-662-4357 for additional help. And remember, you're not alone.